0: The following episode of Trek Geeks contains adult language and situations that may not be suitable for younger listeners. Parental discretion is advised.
1: The Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 300, that's right, I said it, 300 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for Trek Geeks
0: listeners. Fansets! Our pins have character. <laughs> this episode is also sponsored by Science Division, the makers of the galaxy's first interactive tribble that you can control with your very own smartphone. Find out more about this amazing collectible and sign up for their mailing list for special offers at sciencediv.com. Science Division, trouble's never been this fun.
2: Hi, this is John Billingsley, Dr. Phil Flocks. From Star Trek Enterprise. Now, I'm reading something that was written for me, and I think they could have done better. So, this yes. is not me. This is them. My prescription for you is a healthy dose of the Track Geeks podcast starring Dan Davidson and Bill. He could have done better, Smith. It truly is the best medicine. Oh, come on, boys. And here's how they close it Doctor's orders. Shame, tisk, tisk.
0: For the record, that was Dan Davidson that wrote that.
1: That
0: was me. <laughs> wow. Well, That's uh, even you know
1: better because now it's forever blamed on Bill.
0: <laughs> That's forever blamed on Bill. There Thank you, go. you, Mr. Bakula.
1: There you go.
2: Ooh. Wow. All right. All right.
0: Denobulan office of Bodfleet Command, located somewhere on, well, I'm guessing Denobula. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings to you Star Trek fans from all across the galaxy, and welcome to the Trek Geeks Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and it is so great to have you here for episode number 270. It's a great discussion that we have on tap today, and I can't wait to get into it. And of course, by we, I do mean my co-host and I. You know, I could only hope that there was some kind of exchange program where I could send him off to a far-off planet mm. and then leave his ass there. Mm-hmm. He's uh, Dan Davidson, and really nobody cares. But you're here, so
1: <laughs> wow, thanks, man. That was that was a little harsh, but uh, I'll take it. I, but I'm, not untrue. I'm cl- it's not untrue. That's true. But sometimes we leave the un leave the harshness out of the truth. Does that make any sense? No. It's me, so no, it doesn't make any sense at all. It's good to be here. Uh, thanks for that wonderful introduction, I think. Um, but I would be your pen pal if I was away on some far planet, so you'd still hear from me. From
0: Three words, return to sender. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's great to be here, man. Uh, episode 270. Uh, this is going to be a fun one. Um, it seems that we've had a lot of guests lately, and we're going to continue that trend, Um with this episode because um we are celebrating enterprise 20 still throughout this year um so we have an actual member of the good old nx01 with us today he played dr flox he is john billingsley we're gonna have a great conversation with him we are very excited and um (laughs) this one's gonna be um interesting
0: (laughs) well no it's gonna be a great conversation very great for those of you who may have loaded up this episode in whatever podcast app you're, th- that is your favorite, you'll notice that it's tagged as explicit. That means we've not bleeped the episode. Um, there will be profanity later in this episode and, and some adult type situations. So parents, we advise you to maybe give this one a listen before your kids hear it. Um, if you're not a big fan of profanity, then you may want to come back to this episode someday or skip it altogether. And we understand that and we respect it. But, um, it comes down to, we, we'll we talk about this more later, we didn't want to censor the conversation with John, and if we bleeped it, there would be about a lot of bleeps.
1: <laughs> there'd be a lot of, ble- there'd be, a it'd lot of bleeps. It'd just be like one whole like Captain Pike episode, just straight through. <laughs> 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 just, just saying, exactly. Yeah, and, and like I said, we'll get into it more, but uh, it, it was the right thing to do. Um, we don't want to to censor this conversation because it's, it just, it, it takes a lot out of it if we do that. So, uh, so yeah, keep that in mind, uh, for your youngins or for your less intelligent husbands, uh, because that's probably true also. Or
0: your Dan Davidson's.
1: Yeah. Well, I didn't want to say it, but yeah. yeah
0: Well, that's right. Everybody knew what you meant. <laughs> and by knowing what you mean, they know now that you're going to tell them how to get in touch with you yeah. uh, or me to uh-huh. tell them about how much they love bleep f- bleep free trek geeks
1: bleep free trek geeks hashtag that that's for this week we love to hear everyone we definitely want to hear from you and the best way to do that is of course to get yourself the trek geeks mobile app for your ios or android device download it and tap on the more button for a variety of ways to get in touch with bill or myself and while you're at it you can check out the brand new app exclusive shows that you won't be able to get anywhere else head on over to trekgeeks.com slash app to get all the details and don't forget about the most positive facebook group there is it's camp kittimer it's the official Facebook group of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network on Facebook. We don't allow trolling. We don't allow gatekeeping. We only want people celebrating what they love about Star Trek and all forms of star trek just search for camp kinemer and we'll let you right in answer a couple of easy questions bill actually got 100 percent on the questions so you know they're really easy uh we want to thank our wonderful admins haley jackie and fark for the amazing job they do running that camp but please remember that any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode no mistakes i got through it thank you i, I
0: don't know if i <laughs> if i do listen back on this i'm going to notice one word that was a minor flub what was that Ye- you added an extra L sound in there, and I will, I tell you what, I'm going to copy it and paste it into <laughs> a separate wave file and send it to you, and I'm going to make that section super loud so you hear it.
1: All right. I don't even know where it was. I don't even know. Is there an L in any of this copy? I don't even know. I don't think
0: so. <laughs> <laughs> And as always, we want to take this moment to thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network.
1: Yeah, we absolutely do, and as always, Bill, also, Fansets has new and awesome pins being released all the time. You horror fans will love their new collection, which includes pins like Jason, Freddy, and more. You DC fans will want to get your hands on the newest Firebrand, Alexander Luthor Jr., and Aqualad pins. Yes, there apparently is a real thing called Aqualad. And of course, you Trek fans can add Admiral Vance, Dr. Jillian Taylor, Monster Maroon Admiral Kirk, and a whole bunch of other things to your collection right now by heading over to fansets.com.
0: So you know what I'm going to say. I mean, this is the part of the spot where I always do it. Get on over to fansets.com. Put that, you know, the the Dr. Taylor pin and the Monster Maroon pin and all, even Aqualad. Put him in your cart, along with a whole bunch of other accessories and and stuff. And at checkout, be sure to enter this week's special discount code word, FLOX. That's P-H-L-O-X in all capital letters for 10% off your entire order. This offer is going to be good until October 27th, 2021 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Plus, don't forget, when you spend more than $30, bucks, you are automatically going to get free shipping inside the United States. Fansets.
1: Our pins have character, Captain. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network.
0: Dan, our friends at Science Division are really going big time on us. Yeah, that's right, man.
1: And we really do mean big. Right now, you can pre-order Science Division Special Edition Giant Silver Tribble. It's a whopping 14 inches across, and each one comes with a signed and numbered adoption certificate. Now, there's only going to be 300 of the Giant Silver Tribbles available for adoption, so you really need to act quickly. Like their smaller counterparts, you will truly swear that this Tribble and the sounds it makes come right out of the original series. And of course, you can use them with the app or let them scream at people in your life named Bill Smith that you really wish would just go away. Wow. Go away. So we're
0: going there. Go away. So (laughs) head on over to ScienceDIV.com right now and pick up one of the galaxy's first interactive tribbles for your very own. And be sure to follow the Science Division social media pages to see their daily tribble cosplay photos this month in celebration of Halloween.
1: Science Division wishes to remind you that the unlicensed breeding of tribbles is a violation of Federation law.
0: Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun, and we thank our friends at Science Division for sponsoring this week's episode. Hi, Dr. Phil Flocks, also known as
2: John Billingsley, speaking. I am the president of the board of the Hollywood Food Coalition. We serve terrific multi course meals to the unhoused and to those in need seven nights a week. We assist as many as 100 nonprofits with their food needs, buttressing extraordinary social service programs. We work with community partners to address issues of food insecurity here in SoCal. We do lots of other great stuff, but how much time do we have? If you're in L.A., come and volunteer with us at hofoco.org slash volunteer. And any Federation credits you can spare go a long way.
0: So Dan, before we get into the conversation with Mm -hmm. John Billingsley, we want to talk a little bit about um, how John wound up on the podcast. Yes. Because we've said for, you know, a number of years now, uh, we had the opportunity to get John, um, but we didn't necessarily want to talk politics. And you and I have kind of had a a bit of, not really a change of heart, but sort of a change in philosophy. Yeah. And that is the show is not becoming political. But at times, our guests may espouse or have opinions that fall in that line. And we don't want to be that, we don't want that to be a barrier to a conversation with them about. Other things,
1: right? Absolutely, and just as a little bit of history, um, this all started um, when I was flying out to LA actually for the Discovery premiere a few years back. I actually was emailing with John while I was on the plane, which I was pretty excited about to begin with, and we were talking about the possibility and and how we didn't want to bring politics in it, and and he was one hundred percent right that Star Trek involves politics and and he's very passionate about his beliefs uh, and at the time we just decided we will hold off and he literally said I won't say a quote here but he said hey if you ever decide bleep it let's talk politics I'd be happy to come on so over the course of time uh, like you said we've kind of had a, a change in our philosophies and and you, you can't censor somebody like John he's so passionate he's so intelligent he loves what he talks about so much so a few weeks back I reached out to him again and said hey John I've just you know bill and I have talked and we've decided bleep it we want to have you on we're going to talk politics if if that comes up so um, that's what we decided Um, so that's going to creep into the conversation we've already told people that there is uh, uh, it's marked as explicit because of some uh, adult language so to speak which is also part of what's so wonderful about John Um, he's just a a wonderful person to talk to but these things do take place so we want to give some uh, any of our listeners who might have you know concerns about that a little uh, extra time to listen on their own and make the
0: decision for themselves well, and it's important to note that you and I are are people. We have political opinions. They're not necessarily a part of Trek Geeks. Right. We don't talk about our politics openly on the show. We have things that we believe in the scope of current events. And even, you know, as far as politics goes, um, in this particular conversation, um, John is very upfront about his, um, his preferences, about where he thinks blame should lie with particular things. Um, and, and there are spots where we agree with him and have no problem saying so, but that's only said in, in context to stress that Trek Geeks is not becoming a show about politics. Right. Right. Um, I think that's very important to note. Uh, plus, I mean, we do spend a good chunk of the episode, the vast majority of it talking about both enterprise Mm -hmm. and the Hollywood food coalition, which John does a lot of work with Apparently we're gonna do something for but more about that after the conversation. Oh possibly,
1: yeah. Very, very good.
0: The following episode of Trek Geeks contains adult language and situations that may not be suitable for younger listeners. Parental discretion is advised. Mm-hmm.
1: With almost 170 credits to his name, today's guest is certainly one that could be placed in the category of legendary. From playing Michael Latham in one of my favorite TV shows, 24, to playing the sometimes scantily clad Mike Spencer on True Blood, he's graced the big and small screen for over 30 years. He's an amazing spokesperson, volunteer, and president of the board of directors for the Hollywood Food Coalition, which assists over 100 nonprofits for food needs, provides food seven nights a week to unhoused in the L.A. area, and works with community partners to help address food insecurity in Southern California, which we're going to discuss at length in today's episode. But for us on Trek Geeks, he will always be the person that played what many consider to be one of the most beloved characters in Star Trek history, Dr. Phlox. For four seasons, he ran Sickbay on Star Trek: Enterprise, and as we continue to celebrate the twentieth anniversary of that show, we are honored and delighted to welcome the wonderful John Billingsley to the Trek Geeks Podcast. John, welcome aboard! It's great to have you here, man.
2: Wow, such encomiums! I'm I'm touched. I'm moved. Almost 170 credits is true. I have 169 and a half credits. <laughs> One of my credits really doesn't count as a full credit. That's okay. Well, well it's a, I started actually counting the credits and saying like that's worth a credit, that's not worth a credit, I think I would have like fifteen credits. <laughs> there are a number of things I can think of. Seven hours to judgment—that's like one sixteenth of a credit. <laughs> I encourage it's hard everybody to, be- to not watch that.
0: <laughs> it's hard to believe that the same guy wrote uh, that that intro you you recorded for us earlier and that that same introduction of you to the podcast. I know.
2: Yes, I, um, I, let it be said, let it be said, I, I made fun of Bill, <laughs> oh, you can do better, Smith, when I should have made fun of, Dan, you call yourself a writer, David Absolutely. Oh.
1: Well, see, I worked on the intro for like three weeks, and I did the intro in about 10 minutes, so, you know. That's, That's true. Right. <laughs> That's I just true. am so,
2: I'm so used to the various medical puns being uh, utilized oh, yes. in any introduction that I have made it my mission to abuse the people who use them. <laughs> uh,
0: Please abuse away. Go deeper, Dan. Go deeper. (laughs) That's what she said. Um, Sorry, I couldn't pass it up. My my wife and I are in a continual rewatch of The Office. I apologize. (laughs) Um, (laughs) John, as we have asked our guests uh, pretty much ever since this whole pandemic started, um, because the world has changed. And first, we want to know, how are you? How are Bonnie? Are, Are you both staying safe and healthy?
2: And that's very sweet of you to ask. Yes, we are very well. We are staying safe. We are staying healthy. We were vaxxed as soon as we could possibly get vaxxed. Nice. It is absolutely staggering to me that as many people uh, are, are choosing to remain unvaccinated as are choosing to remain unvaccinated, proving once again, in my opinion, that people would indeed rather be dead than wrong. One of the great curses in our society. Mm-hmm. Um and fortunately, we live in Los Angeles and in California, which for all the knots California takes is actually one of the states where the um, vaccination rate is quite high. And we have seen our hospitalization numbers drop, our incidences of a COVID drop. And I think we're right up uh, at the top of the pack right now. So I'm feeling pretty good, all things considered.
1: It's amazing. As as don't. It's amazing yeah. how science actually works. I know. Yeah. It's, what a thought.
2: It's, it's staggering. When you think when you think back and those days leading up to the introduction of the vaccines, it was just everybody, everybody clamoring vaccines, vaccines, get us through this, get us through this. And then the vaccines arrive. And all of a sudden, because it's a Democratic president, I assume, in part, and because, you know, the rabble rousers on the right and particularly the odious Tucker Carlson. Um, figure out how to line their filthy pockets by insisting that people stay away from the vaccines. We've seen, you know, thousands and thousands of of deaths. I mean, there are a lot of people in this country who have blood on their hands. I'll go further and say that I think when we're all in hell, we will be standing on Rupert Murdoch's shoulders.
0: Well, yeah, you know what? That's that's pretty much spot on. Um, I've said for years that I'm in hell simply because I record with Dan, but (laughs) um your point is 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 right on the nose man i, I, I just like to
2: i like to alienate a core portion of your audience right out of
1: the gate. <laughs> for, those,
2: for those 19 republicans who are listening to this and who've just clicked off sorry sorry guys
1: that's okay that's okay that's okay all okay. right so first question about flocks because you know there's going to be a couple of them here on a star trek podcast who would have thought um let me ask you a question about the very very beginning john and that's when you were first cast as flocks did you have any idea about what the Star Trek universe entailed? Were you concerned with what it was going to be like to be thrust into this, this fan rabid um, genre? Um, or was it just at the time, just another gig to you that you were looking forward to doing?
2: I was going to say, I was an actor. I was concerned about paying my rent. <laughs>
1: like every
2: other actor. Yeah. Um, I'd had some success in my career. I'd had one series called the others, but by and large, I had come out of the theater world and was still really, making my way in film and television. So uh, for me, it represented Kaching and the brass ring. And yes, I certainly understood, even though I myself wasn't particularly a Star Trek fan, what it meant mm-hmm. to um, be cast in a franchise that had that kind of uh, longevity. And I had pals who were big Star Trek fans. So after I got the gig, they were uh, willing to give me kind of a crash course. I still can only remember like one out of every 10, you know, alien races. It's like I, I you know, minor buttheads and major buttheads is basically how I kind of <laughs> um, And the audition, they didn't give you all the material. I had a tiny little bit of script. Basically, they said, come in with a slight alien accent, which I thought was challenging. And um my wife and I worked on various uh, options. She was kind enough to tell me I sucked for the good week or so. I needed to hear that until I found something that kind of resembled Dr. Flox's voice. And uh, bizarrely, because usually when you go in to test for something, they bring in, you know, a slew of possibilities. I was basically the only one they really were considering for the part. So, oh. um, huzzah. I did squawk like a bird. You've probably heard that story a thousand <laughs> times. Did you hear No, that? I actually I have not heard no. that one, John. Uh, really i tell it all the time i think everybody must be sick of it by now yes i sort of thought that perhaps on his home planet he was he was a bird i thought maybe he came from an avian culture and um in moments of joyous transport he would squawk uncontrollably so when i auditioned i did it like dr flox does it and blah 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 rah, rah, yada, 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 yada. and uh much to my surprise and and maybe even chagrin i started going further in the process and i kept squawking and i kept you know going further until i got the job and the first table read, I squawk and nobody says anything. I think, okay, I'm a bird. They don't make me look like a bird. Nobody said anything, but nobody's told me not to be a bird. So, the very first rehearsal, the very first scene, I squawk and the director Jim Conroy says, "John, quit fucking around," <laughs> which is how I know I'm not a
1: bird. <laughs> With all the interviews I've listened to of you, I've never heard that one. That's, I can't that's believe amazing. it because
2: I tell that I tell that pretty much in every interview. So maybe you're fast forwarding through a lot of what I say.
1: <laughs> or maybe sorry, you do it at the end and I'm just tired of listening to it. Yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't be the only one. You wouldn't be the only
0: one. You know, John, here we are in Enterprise's 20th anniversary year. I mean, it's just this month that it that it premiered 20 years ago. And Star Trek's and, like
2: 219th anniversary year, wasn't it? Like, Which is
0: amazing, yeah. Amazing. It was shortly after the Revolutionary War, I think, the first... Uh, <laughs> I, first that's exactly years. right, when Color TV was introduced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I. I talk to people all the time. And I think Dan, this is probably true of you too, who are discovering enterprise for the first time. And we've met so many people who have fallen in love with the series since then. Maybe they saw it on Netflix or DVD, but does one, does that surprise you? And two to what do you attribute that possibly? Probably me. I would too,
2: but yeah. I mean, I would say that probably I I'm certainly told that a lot of people just fast forward through every scene I'm not in. And of course, I wasn't in that many. It only takes about thirty minutes to get through the whole four seasons if you do that. Um, I'm, of course, being entirely facetious. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, I candidly, when it was on, had mixed feelings about the overarching quality of the show. I've gone back and watched a few episodes myself now that it's on Netflix, and I still kind of hold to the same opinion. It was. It was not infrequently good. And it was too frequently not good. Um, okay. I think, I think we had some clunker episodes. I felt as if the show could have gone farther in the direction of taking us on a darker journey out of the gate, although that might not have appealed to the Star Trek audience. But having said that, when I see an episode that I like, I'm reminded of what I think we we could do well and what we sometimes did do well. And I think the the actors actually... Um, I think Connor was lovely. I think that there was some real uh, interesting rapport between the cast. That I think there maybe we were due for a reappreciation. I always felt badly, you know, in all candor. And I've said this many times. I I always felt really badly for Brannon and Rick. They were rushed into producing Enterprise before they had a chance to really think through what the Bible might be so i don't really blame them for the fact that in the first two seasons they were kind of pulling stories out of their ass a little bit Mm -hmm. i remember fairly early on brandon said something to me while i was standing at the craft table uh, craft services table to the effect of if you have any ideas it was like but we're only three episodes in and i'm scared now (laughs) so
1: you know it's 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 interesting that you say that when you were when you were Some of these rewatches, you were wondering if maybe you should have gone a little bit darker in the beginning, because that's kind of what Deep Space Nine did in its run. It was always tagged as the darker Star Trek series, and it really worked. Do you know if that was discussions that were had of whether they would go that way, or did they want it to be, you know, we're the first starship out here, everybody wants to be happy and smiley until the Zindi War arc, which we we'll, we can get into
2: later. Yeah, I mean, you never know. But from from stories I've heard, and I don't know what's apocryphal and what's fanciful, but from stories I've heard, I think that there was a lot of studio and network interference. I this always struck me whether or not this came down from. Rick and Brannon, or whether it came down from people above Rick and Brannon, but I had a little back channel to the hair in the hair trailer to the first drafts Mm -hmm. of the scripts. Normally the actors do not get to see the first draft because the writers and the producers understandably are afraid they're going to call and start bitching. I'm not, I'm not in. until page 25. What's going on? Yada, yada, yada. (laughs) They don't want us to see it until, you know, shit hits the fan. and We're ready to go. But I would always peek because sometimes I wasn't used and I wanted to go double dip and see if I could find work elsewhere. So I looked at the first script of one of the very early episodes. And in it, there was a transporter accident and one of the crewmen comes back. And in the first draft, my memory is it's like his head is where his ass should be. It's like, holy shit. Ah!" (laughs) terrified.
1: That's Bill every day. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, hey,
2: by the time it gets to the final version of the script, the shooting script, it's like he comes back from the train he's got a twig sticking out of his ear. Oh, dear. Crewman Dingledoggle has a twig. Let me clip that for you. And I thought that was to me kind of like, you know, indicative of what happened. The instinct, a lot of the things that were set up were the first ship. We don't trust the transporter. The weapons aren't working. Nobody's For met, you know, a potentially malevolent alien race before. I thought that there was a, the, the ship itself is, is kind of claustrophobic and dark. And there's a real sense in which it could have been a little bit more, you know, uh, white knuckles time. It would have required for Star Trek to do some things that I don't think Star Trek is ever comfortable doing, like overlapping dialogue, like having a little bit more Rob, Robert Altman-esque kind of mm-hmm. sense of like, I may not have even understood that conversation because everybody was talking at once. But I get the idea that people are fucking neurotic and scared. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Whenever you turn the channel, you know you're on a Star Trek show within five seconds. It's like you just know it. the lighting is the same. Mm-hmm. The design is more or less the same. The music is the same. I would have felt personally it would be like, Sh- change it up. You know, you've been on for umpteen goddamn years, series after series after series, change it up. But, you know, that might have so alienated a lot of hardcore Star Trek fans that it might have flopped. If they were looking for a sweet spot where they moved in that direction, I felt like they kind of edged over there and then they backed off too quick. Right.
1: So it could have flopped or maybe
2: floxed. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I say this, and the irony, of course, (laughs) is that I was maybe the sweet-tempered, nice guy in the show who was least... Likely to be involved in that kind of you know dark and frightening universe. Um, I mean, I was I was kind of a, a you know beacon of light and hope, but still, as a, a, my aesthetic basically said, go further. Right.
1: Well, you you actually were you were that beacon of light. I think that's one of the reasons why you were such a popular character on the show, or Flocks was such a popular character. And, and it's
2: ironic because in life I'm just a real fucking turtle. <laughs> so. but
1: you had some, you had some shining moments during the series. Your "Dear Doctor" is one of the best episodes of the entire series, and it's you know specifically yeah. geared towards your character, and and you're this beacon of light. But then we get—I do kind of kill off a
0: species there. Oh, I mean, it's
2: a kind of a questionable oh, moral decision, don't you posh. think? I mean,
0: <laughs> oh, but that's what Star Trek does best—is questionable moral decisions.
2: That's right. That was a big
1: one. That was a big yeah. one. Um, but they're like, oh, well, I have the cure, but I'm not going to give it to him because I don't think they're worthy. <laughs> too bad, so sad. <laughs> but on the other hand, we got to see a real diabolical Dr. Flox in the mirror universe. Was that something you like to do, play out of your shell a little bit during those episodes?
2: Well, you know, to be honest with you, I mean, the, uh, the irony, of course, is that I've played more serial killers and child molesters <laughs> than almost any character actor in Hollywood. So it is hardly, you know. <laughs> um a, a stretch for me to play a vivisectionist <laughs> True torture. It's like, you know, wake me up at three in the morning and give me a scalpel and I'm ready to cut you alive. Um, <laughs> for me, what was interesting, and I think it's why perhaps it wasn't quite as much fun for some of the other actors, Connor hated those episodes, um, notoriously. Uh for me, it's like the one thing that was true for Dr. Flox in both universes is he was joyful. Mm-hmm. You know, in any universe, Dr. Flox is gonna have a good time, right? Is my feeling. Whereas for the other characters, playing dark was kind of like playing sad. And, and you know, I, I kind of felt that was one of the things that, that, that the Mirror Universe kind of... Um, uh, I wasn't crazy about those episodes. One, I didn't think they really kind of added up to anything. And two, I felt like... It, it, everybody was basically kind of forced
1: to play the same color. It's it's interesting that you say that. I love the mirror universe just because it's so different than what no, we expect. Most in, people seem in, to. In, most people seem to in Star Trek. Yeah, but it's funny. We talked to Andy Robinson, and he said the same thing that you just said about Connor. They hated playing the mirror universe characters because it was so it was it was cookie cutter characters every single time. Yeah. They wanted to yeah. kill as many people as they could. They were mean. Yeah. They were sadistic. But you were yeah. there, shining, torturing, torturing uh, Tholians, and loving it.
2: <laughs> yeah you know i mean and that that was you know fortunately i mean you know you only have so much latitude as an actor yeah. if they had not written into that i would not have been able to play it right. but i think by the time they'd gotten to know me they realized that that was sort of you know probably the underlying um the baseline of dr flocks no matter where he is yeah. he's, he's enjoying himself he
0: likes to eat he likes to fuck he likes to he likes to cut people up
2: i mean you know he, he's a good time charlie kind of guy
0: <laughs> you know, that, that's in fact, you, you were talking about all the other types of characters you played who are normally like serial killers and stuff like that. And I this came to me, you know, top of mind. I It made me think of an episode you did of Nip Tuck. You yeah, played yeah. this gentleman who wanted to have his leg amputated. Yes. Um, how do you I, I sorry for the, the diversion to something, but I mean, this is the way my brain works. How do you get into the mind of a character like that? I mean, it's one thing to play a doctor who's a beacon of light and hope. It's another thing to play a serial killer who, you know, you know what his end game is. But uh, a a guy with a with a a sort of body dysmorphic syndrome who wants to amputate his own leg. um, What kind of a challenge is that like as an actor?
2: You know, I'm acting is not as complicated as people who don't act make it out to be. If you had to play somebody who had something they didn't like about himself, you would think about what don't you like about yourself? and Think about how much you'd like to change that. Mm -hmm. And think about what lengths you would go to if you had the opportunity. And you then imagine yourself into the fictional equivalent. I mean, really, acting is just about, it's an imaginative exercise in which you say to yourself, this character is going through something that I could see myself going through under a, a different set of circumstances. But the fundamental, the fundamental um, challenge of living the experience is more or less the same.
0: Fascinating. You know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we hear these long explanations of how actors get into character and that's actually the first time I've ever understood an answer like that, because I'll, let's face it, I'm not that bright. I had a high school oh, drama no, teacher. I, you know,
2: I taught, I taught acting for years. The key to acting is action. You really, it's also, you know, you don't want to overthink the, the actors make the mistake all the time of playing what they call play in their preparation. You do all this yeah. homework and you come in and you want to show it to people. So you emote all over the place. If you're acting, you're pursuing something. You're trying to get something from the person you're in a scene with. You have an objective. There's a reason why you want it, but you have an objective. You play an action. And if you're balked in your action, as you usually will be in any scene, something comes up and your action changes. An intelligent actor simply knows how to make very active choices, go with the flow in the moment, and be very aw- awake to the reality of the behavior that's coming from his partner. It's it's less complicated but it's extremely hard to do because it takes years of training.
0: You know, it's interesting. It it brings back something that I heard 35 years ago from my high school drama teacher, which was acting is reacting. Yeah. And it's put in its simplest state. that just that I'm having this PTSD regarding it. And it's, it's pretty amazing right now.
2: Yeah. Um, Living in the moment. I mean, there are all sorts of different ways to put it. I used to teach uh, the Sanford Meisner technique and Meisner spends a lot of time before he even gets to text basically trying to make sure that an actor is not trying to through a series of exercises called the repetition exercises impose an emotional state or his behavioral reality on a partner but really taking taking and responding based on what the partner is doing and it really kind of trains you to listen and to be very awake to what you're receiving when you're when you're acting and and that's you know 90% of it is
1: is being present in the moment being present in the moment is flocks you of course a lot of people sometimes can can say that oh they started they did a trek series that was before tos and retcon and this that and the other thing you're the first deno denobulin that we see in in star trek history
2: bravo for pronouncing denobulin i I usually don't and bill will tell you we had one
1: argument we had one day and i pronounced mispronounced it like six times so i've been practicing buddy Very good. I know <laughs> one little stutter, but you really, you I know get, you got it. You, that, got it. you had to catch that too, didn't you? Anyway, because yeah. <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I get with Bill every week. As that first character, did you get to have a lot of input into what Fox would be like, or were you told by the studio, this is how he's going to be You got to do this. Did you get to build up that character's legacy with a lot of your own stuff?
2: I suspect if I was a different kind of person, uh, like Bob Picardo, who I think basically slept in the writer's room, uh, from what I've heard, Bob, are you listening to this? Hi, Bob. Um, How about I'm an opera singer? How about I'm a gourmet cook? How about I sleep with this person? How about I sleep with that person? Basically, Bob just kind of kept coming up with the storylines based on what intrigued him and what he liked. And if I were more like Bob, I would have probably done the same thing, but I'm much lazier than Bob. So I just did what I was told to do. What I do think happens is that the um, the writers, as they watch the series, they get hep to your energy. They get hep to your, your nature. You know, every actor has his or her own way of being in the world. It's what you were cast for, first and foremost, because something about you resonates. You audition for a part, and if the resonance strikes the right chords in the text for the most part they're already on the road to writing you i don't i don't i don't think that actors generally i think sometimes actors get a little too precious about because of me this role went off in this direction Mm -hmm. generally speaking you got the part because the writers saw in you somebody who was right for the part and they were probably going to write you in the right direction anyway right they probably if there's anything i would say found that they could trust that i had a sense of humor enough to kind of let flocks have his sense of humor without it becoming too too silly okay sometimes it was silly but I, i i thought i tried to keep it grounded enough for it not to be you know dumb optimism captain
1: Anyway, I knew I'd throw it in there at least once this week. I'm really sorry. Yes, which
2: which, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, it's funny. You go back and you watch, and and I this is something I'm sure you've heard many times from actors, and doubtless Star Trek actors too, is that it just it, you you don't know everybody. You haven't met the director. You're still you know getting your sea legs. I think most of us we relax into the character, it, it, you know, and as the episodes go by. There's a point when you kind of get to get to this strange realization that you now really are thinking like you suspect the character thinks Okay, you're not outside of you're not outside of the brain pan. Okay? Right. Right. And and I, I think I, I got there fairly quickly. I can go back and watch the first episode and feel like it. It I'd have a lot to do in the first episode. I had like three scenes. Mm-hmm. So the first episode was was for me, the one episode when I watch him now and I kind of go, I'm still kind of thinking uh, about what this guy is like from the outside. Yeah, I, I think second or third episode, I began to feel like, OK, I think I know who
1: he is. It's funny you say that. I actually love that first scene where you're treating the Klingon in, in the first episode and you talk to Archer for the first time. I really like that introduction of the Phlox character that way.
2: I could go back and justify it on the basis of he's like, you know, he's a little bit like a kid in a candy shop. Mm-hmm. It's like he didn't think he was going to get to go on this amazing ride. You right. know, I mean, he's got his own sick bay and he's going to go th- through the star. I mean, so I think there was a little amped upness yep. about Phlox in the first episode, right? Um, which I, I can intellectually justify. In all honesty, just between us, some of that was my own amped upness of like okay star trek seven years gonna buy my wife a house holy cow better not
1: fuck (laughs) this up so let's talk about that for a second um let's fast forward a few years and the and what a lot of star trek fans will say the horrible decision after enterprise season four it's all done um
2: well upn was done i mean that's the thing
1: that people really have to you know i mean it
2: it it just was it was just bad luck. I mean, the network itself was going under. There was nothing else on UPN except wrestling. Mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't have I mean, one I, I remember going to a convention I think in San Antonio, nobody showed up. And it was because the show had always gotten preempted in San Antonio on Friday nights for high school football. Yep. Oh. We didn't have the ability the way major networks do to dictate to the affiliate stations. They had to air it. They got because it was UPN to say, nah, we're there at two in the morning or we'll cancel it this week. So there are a lot of reasons above and beyond, you know, the quality of the show. And I also, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. We had like 10 million people watch the pilot and the next week it was 3 million people. Yeah. So, you know,
1: I mean, people voted with their feet. What are you going to do? I got to say, though john that season four is is so there's so many great stories in season four there's so many great episodes and and it's funny I, I i i gotta ask the question do you think that because of the cancellation that there was more drive to really make these episodes good was it just good writing or was I, it combination? i think it was manny i think it was manny Coto. okay and i don't
2: mean i don't mean in any way to say this uh, to um Impune Rick and Brannon. Well, sure. I mean, yeah. The show the franchise, you know, from you know next generation on owes so much to Rick and Brannon. But they had been yeah. producing Star Trek yeah. for year, year after year after year after year after year. For Cota, it was like, I'm a kid in a candy shop. I loved Star Trek and I get to do whatever I want because I'm not under the same kind of pressure. Yeah. Because probably the show isn't going to survive. Woohoo. So some of that, I think, bullions really comes through. In season four. And even in season three, although I did not like the Zindi arc for a lot of reasons, there were individual episodes that Manny wrote. One that I think is kind of a riff on the Israeli Palestinian issue, one uh, similitude. Yeah. uh, The one in which uh, the captain basically has a form of uh, Alzheimer's, Mm -hmm. um, the time travel. I love that episode. Yeah. There were some great episodes in season three. The irony is, is to me, they had nothing to fucking do with the Zendi except insofar as there's this pressure imposed on us, like in similitude, we've got to figure out how to clone trip and uh, otherwise the Zendi will kill us. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't about the Zindi. It was just that there was a certain urgency baked into the serialized plot. Personally, I thought the Zindi, insofar as it was, you know, this bullshit 9-11 thing, you know, which was, yeah, a reflection of the xenophobia of our time, I thought was to my mind, the, antithesis of what star trek should try and say
1: it's funny that you bring that up we we talked to nana visitor once on the show and we talked about whether she thought that her character would have even been able to have been done after 9 11 of course her her, the show was before 9 11 and she said no absolutely not because of anything that happened and i can't help but look at the zindi arc as as just another way to Tie nine eleven into a science fiction series. I've always uh, thought of that that way.
2: Yeah, I mean it's funny because you said in the introduction, which is very sweet of you, that I was I played Michael Latham on Twenty Four, mm-hmm. also Manny show. I love me. Man- I love Manny. I think Manny's a terrific writer. Yes. Manny's well to the right of me. And most people are well to the right of me. <laughs> um, I I think that you know one of the things that I really object to in our culture, and it started well before nine one one, but certainly nine one one kind of put its finger on the pulse of this, is that the means justify the ends, and particularly torture is acceptable.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. And I think you know for me there was an episode in Enterprise when the captain says, "I'm going to throw you out the airlock if you don't give me what I want." And the message behind that to me was, in essence, supportive of, if you remember at the time, the same kind of thinking that led to Abu Ghraib and that led us to um, black box prisons Mm -hmm. and that led us to, you know, in in my mind, to, to essentially soiling our moral fucking pants. And it's been downhill ever since. So as a Star Trek fan, that that season, moments in that season were very hard for me. And I say that as a Star Trek fan, I'm really not that much of a Star Trek fan. But as a a person on the show, Mm -hmm. knowing Mm -hmm. what it means, knowing what the history of Star Trek means, and knowing what Roddenberry's fundamental message is, to me, I kind of felt like, "Eh." even as I say, I wanted it to be darker. I think the challenge, and they may, you guys watch it, and I don't. They may be fulfilling that now with the current shows. I don't know. I think the challenge is to say in what what we are going through right now, not the 60s. 60s were a time of potential promise. And, you know, the the passage of the Civil Rights Act and Johnson's, um, you know, very positive um, war on poverty. It seemed like we had the world ahead of us. We forgot that, you know, it's always dark. Vietnam War, yada, 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 yada. Where we sit now, I think it's really hard to get up in the morning and kind of look at the world and think there's a reason to have hope. Amen. I don't know how Star Trek addresses that in a way that says we still have hope. I think that's one of the great challenges of writing for this franchise now.
0: I I have to agree with you. I think that the new iterations of Star Trek do that to some extent in its own way. I mean, obviously, the medium has changed to some degree. Everything is, you know, one serialized season after another, almost like novels, you know, and yeah. chapters and, uh, you know, discovery does what it can to do that in today's society. I think it deals with different issues. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it's totally obviously very different from say next gen or even, or even enterprise. Um, because I think it reflects more of the, the cynicism and the negativity of, of this time, quite frankly. Yeah
2: yeah and and i I don't think you can you can't you can't pretend it isn't real. i mean every every show that's made is is a reflection of a time in which it's made and has to and has to be. so yes. I, I think it's necessary for star Star Trek to grapple with it without at the same time losing its underlying you know argument, which is that it is possible. It is possible to do better. It is possible to advance. It is possible that we can put our differences aside. It is possible. I it really, really, I don't envy the people who write Star Trek because mm. I think putting those two realities, here's the world we're living in, Jesus Christ, it's not possible. And this underline, and this and this overlay of but but it is possible together, man, tough shit.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of doing better, we want to talk a little bit about something else that you do on a regular basis. Now, people who've listened to Trek Geeks now for the last few episodes. Have heard your mellifluous tones doing a PSA that our friends oh. at Mary Entertainment sent over to us and asked us to start running, and we were happy to do it for the Hollywood Food Coalition. Yes, um, and, and admittedly, before that, Dan and I literally knew nothing about yeah. the Hollywood Food Coalition, and now that since we've we've started looking at it and and started learning more about it, we we learned that you guys have been doing a really an incredible job for 34 years, practically. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, about the coalition?
2: Sure. And I've been involved with it for about five years. So mm-hmm. it, it certainly, you know, been on the scene for many, many years in advance of me. A gentleman named Ted Landreth started about 34 years ago. Um, I'll go back a little bit. In most major American cities, and certainly this is true in Los Angeles, um, people who are experiencing homeless are ghettoized. There is an intentional... Right effort to try and keep people experiencing homelessness, and I I can understand it, in Mm -hmm. one area in the city, so as to keep the general population from getting their panties in a twist. Mm -hmm. About 35 years ago, that began to change in Los Angeles. The population was was, uh, bigger than downtown Los Angeles could handle. The social services available were simply not sufficient. And the homeless population began to spread throughout the city. This was the beginning of what we now know to be this, you know, extremely dire problem of uh, expansive homelessness. So uh, folks in West Hollywood said, well, let's try and do something for the people who are in our community. And they started providing a hot, nourishing, multi-course meal every night, served to people on the streets. And they handed out shoes and clothing and toiletry kits and bus passes and laundry vouchers, did everything they could to help people get into drug and alcohol rehabilitation programs, yada, 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 whole nine yards. About seven years ago, a woman who had been a volunteer with them for a number of years basically said to the founder, I'd really like us to do more by moving inside for various reasons. Ted did not stick around. Sherry Bonanno took over. We moved indoors. We've been doing the same thing, but we've been serving a meal indoors instead of on the streets. So we've been able to expand our capacity and we've been able to expand the array of services. We have a partnership with UCLA. They bring a medical, dental, vision van to our campus. We have COVID testing, we have vaccines, and we try and hook people up to all sorts of different social services. My wife and I, when we got involved, we wanted to emphasize two things, more coalition building, more partnerships with other not-for-profits, And we also wanted to say, hey, we rescue and share food. Let's grow that capacity. So a couple of years ago, we helped to push the organization. And I say this somewhat guardedly because there are many, many, many people involved. But this has been a push of ours. We uh, helped push the organization into an expanded capacity. We now have a second space. So food we rescue from all over the city lands there somewhere right now between a million and two million pounds a year. And we share it with other not-for-profits on the basis of you've got a cool social service program, but maybe the food component isn't as robust. Mm -hmm. Let us try and provide the food so that the shelter you're running or the senior citizen facility you're running or the institution that you're running has better food. So it's concierge level service for social service organizations with a client base. We call that the exchange program. Wow! And then, lastly, what I spend a lot of time doing and what our organization tries to do is we network with other food and social service providers to try and figure out ways that we can collectively help build the network of social service provision so as to create a better social safety net in Los Angeles, which hopefully is something can be modeled in other cities.
1: It's amazing to me, John, listening to you talk about what this is all about. Just a minute ago, you were talking about how difficult it is for for the writers to write Star Trek in present day based on everything that's going on. And yet I can't help but think of a line from the original series because you're doing it right now in real life without the help of a Star Trek writer. And that's when Captain Kirk tells Edith Keeler that the three most important words are going to be, let me help. You're sitting there doing that on a daily basis with what you're doing, not just in Los Angeles, but to all these other organizations that you just talked about, about this exchange program. That's just absolutely fantastic.
2: Well, you know, the history of our country, and I think the history generally of the world is that um, things have to be modeled on a local level, on a city level, on a state level before they can be taken up on a national level. The New Deal, for instance, for the most part, FDR took a lot of the precepts and the concepts And the policies from the work that the New York progressive movement launched in New York, uh, turn of the century and early part of the 20th century into the Wilson administration. So I do think a lot of the work has to happen on the ground. The whole bromide of the states being the laboratory of democracy. I think cities are the laboratory of democracy. It's where you have multiculturalism on the ground. It's where you have a lot of poverty on the ground. It's where you have a lot of. Uh, nascent and and sometimes not so nascent structures that can be molded together to help people on the ground. That's where the work has to happen, so that the nation can turn around and say, "Oh, that works. Let's learn from that. Let's learn from that. Let's learn from that." Right. New York, frankly, does it a lot better because, candidly, L.A. is a really problematic city. We have 88 separate municipalities. Um, L.A. is extremely organized. Oh, wow. Yeah, L.A. is a very complicated. It's most I've lived in cities my whole life. L.A. is the most complicated fucking city I've ever lived in.
1: <laughs> I've only been there once, and it was it was interesting.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's really hard because you know if you have particularly people experiencing homelessness, imagine you know eighty eight cities have their own rules and regulations yeah. and policies and procedures, and to get somebody from a hospital in one city or town um, to a, a program that puts them into a shelter somewhere else you're crossing all sorts of jurisdictional lines mm-hmm. and, you're, and you're crossing a lot of funding lines. Right. It's it's, and it's huge. It's a, it's a huge, just physically the geography in LA. There's a wonderful Michelle shock song called 100 miles in which she basically, the whole song is how she's leaving LA and she just drives around the city and it takes her whole day.
0: <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's true. It does. Um So, you know, it, it's fascinating. You bring that up about the, the 88 different municipalities. I was about to ask you, what are what are some of the greatest challenges? But I think you've pretty much summed that up with just with that alone.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, as a for instance, so let's say that there's a program that somebody might be eligible for, for um, uh, what what is called permanent supportive housing. Somebody might mm-hmm. get into a program that would actually get them housed. But to get into that program, They may need, they have an application deadline, let's say, as a, for instance, and for the application, they have to have passed a medical test to make sure they don't have tuberculosis or other communicable diseases. So somebody has got to get them to, you know, multiple doctor appointments and that paperwork has to be done by X date in time to put them into the permanent supportive housing program. They don't have one person who shepherds them through that whole process. They are living on the streets. We're talking about maybe multiple appointments at any point in time, that person can slip through the crack. Mm Yeah. Yeah. You also have all these other things that are just broken in our system generally, which is, I think, the other thing that's so problematic in Los Angeles. And this is true, I think, unfortunately, in a lot of parts of our country, we have 40 kids in a classroom in the public school system, and they all speak. Many of them speak different languages. They have different learning styles. They have parents who have never been to school themselves Mm -hmm. and don't do anything to help support the kids. Yada, yada, yada. Problem, problem, problem. How many of those kids graduate that, you know, frankly, have the capacity to earn a living? Many of them are incapable of even holding down a minimum wage job. And we live in one of the most expensive cities in the country. So it's not just homelessness as a problem qua. It's that we have abandoned as a country some of what we need to do to give people a real whack at things. The poverty line in this country is $27,000 for a family of four. I mean, can you imagine trying to live on $27,000? If you make $28,000, the federal government says, well, you're not experiencing right. poverty. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and realistically, yeah. if you think about what it takes to live in this country, half of the country is under fucking water. Mm-hmm. And that's a reflection. And I'm, forgive me, I'm extremely political. But that's, that's a so cool. reflection of a Republican Party that does not fundamentally care about whether or not people are poor or not. They would just as soon keep people poor. And keep them in need of taking low wage jobs because the people who donate to the campaigns want a cheap workforce. Right. That's the policy.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you at all, man. And and I spent my younger years uh, before I wizened up as a Republican, so I totally, I totally agree with you. Um, let me ask you this, though, in regards to the Hollywood Food Coalition. This may not be part of this, but I wanted to ask. I know that at one point you were involved in the Socks for Flocks campaign. Is that uh, part yeah. of this? And is it still going?
2: Um, I I have some lovely, lovely uh, fans. <laughs> I, I didn't do Twitter. <laughs> I didn't do social media. I, I I didn't do any of that stuff. And then people kept saying, guy named Jay Stoby kept saying, oh, I yep, should do Twitter. We know so Jay. I, oh, yeah. Yep. So I, did, I started doing Twitter, and and some of my my marvelous fans um, have uh, have have been great about supporting the Hollywood Food Coalition. So socks for flocks was a um, you know a, 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 an effort from from some of my my pals, That's awesome. and uh, it's been great. A number of people have done some really lovely and cool things to uh, to support.
1: Well, that was going to be my second question. Of that first question is. Bill and I are in New Hampshire, so we're as far away from you as possibly we can get in the United States. How can people throughout the United States and the world help the Hollywood Food Coalition with volunteering or donating or anything like that? How can people do something?
2: Well, first, of course, if... if- our own individual organization, you dig it, and you want to support it, hofoco, dot org. Mm-hmm. That's our website, currently going through a redesign, so hopefully we'll have the new website up and running in a few weeks. But the, go to the old website, and you can make a contribution there through any of the you know standard platforms that you're all familiar with. Yeah. Um, you can follow uh, Hollywood Food Coalition on Twitter, uh, Instagram, etc., But I also have to say, because, you know, I love our organization. I think we do great stuff. And I really hope that we can keep uh, building within LA a model that other people can get excited by, hubs uh, in neighborhoods that um, are interested in helping to both rescue food and share it, as well as helping to provide services to people experiencing homelessness. That's something I'm really passionate about. But I am equally passionate about volunteerism writ large. So the bigger answer to your question is... It isn't just about supporting my organization. It's about figuring out if you haven't already, and many people have, finding out what your voluntaristic bliss is, mm-hmm. what, what might motivate you to do something for the betterment of your community. Because I think to your point earlier, and it's something I feel very passionately about, the whole thing about Star Trek, You know, it is rooted in get off your ass and do something yeah, and that's the only thing that's going to take us to a better future. I mean, and that may be very different for different people. It could for some people be about working for uh, ecological justice. It could for some people be about working on poverty centric issues. For some people who are who are have certain certain bands that I don't necessarily have, it might mean actually going into politics, running for office, volunteering for a political campaign, getting people to register to vote. I, I really say find in your community, just do a Google search and find out who's doing what and start calling people and saying, what do you do? Can I help? What do you do? Can I help? Yeah. Tutor school kids, volunteer in a prison, you know, find something you really love to do and teach it to other people. Giving back is a, is a gift we have, you know, it's a, it's a gift of capacity we have that will make us feel better about ourselves and will improve the world. So that's kind of what my my more macro answer.
0: You know, it's kind of interesting. It, it makes me wonder how initially did you get involved with with HoFoco? Um, because obviously, I mean, by day you're an actor. Um, by night now you're you're helping to feed the, the homeless population in in the L.A. area um, with my boy those... sidekick.
2: I also I frequently <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: I should put my HoFoco costume on for you. Oh, that would be amazing.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, so what? how did you get started? I mean, did you just show up one day and say, what can I do? Or was it, was it much different?
2: I started a, an organization after, uh, well, f- to, to the longer answer is I've always been very passionate about community. Sure. It takes different forms. You know, you get old. Um, I was a theater guy. For me, my way of being involved in the community was through performance. So I started a theater company that adapted fiction for the stage. I was an acting teacher. The social service stuff was a little less of a of a motivator for me. When I moved into film and TV, when I came down here and I realized I couldn't pursue both a film and TV career and a stage career, some do, I didn't feel it was feasible. I wanted to figure out what I could do to kind of um, scratch that give back itch. And I started to volunteer, uh, well, I joined the board of the, a group called the AIDS Service Center. Um, you know, growing up in the theater, I'd lost a lot of people to HIV AIDS. My father was gay. I knew a lot of people who, you know, had gone through the mill with that. My wife's brother died of AIDS. So I was on that board for a number of years. Um, they eventually, that organization was subsumed by the city of Pasadena. And for a period of time, I tried to figure out what I could do as an actor to give back. So I was a mentor. I was a a career coach. But that wasn't quite enough for me. So uh, when Trump won, I started a group called Push, People Unwilling to Sit on Their Haunches, which was essentially uh, an activist group designed to kind of promote volunteerism. And to model what that meant to me, I I thought, well, I got to find out where I'm going to land and what I'm going to do. I worked on a congressional campaign of a 25th district, uh, a woman named Jess Phoenix, who Mm -hmm. lost to Katie Hill in the primary. Then I did some fundraising for Katie Hill. And Bonnie and I started uh, volunteering at the uh, Follywood Food Coalition as, as, as prepped cooks. They needed a, they needed a board. They were, they were a $100,000 a year organization. They had a great, um, great capacity to serve people every night, but they didn't have the structural capacity to survive, in my opinion. They didn't have a paid ED. They didn't have a development director. So I I uh, I just said, let me let me help. Let me help grow your board, let me help kind of you know create a strategic plan, let me host a few retreats, let me with Bonnie kind of figure out ways to get more people involved in brainstorming your future. So we're we're now a two million dollar a year organization. We have an 18 person staff. I think we're we're well on the way to kind of really cementing ourselves as an organization that's integral awesome. to service provision in our community. So
0: That's pretty remarkable. You know, Dan and I have been doing this podcast now for almost seven years, and we started off as as two idiots who just sort of love talking about Star Trek. But in the last couple of years, we've realized that, you know, we have these microphones and we have an audience. And if we aren't using them or if we don't use them to do something more with them, then they're not worth using. And I think it took us a little while to come around to that realization, but that really is, is kind of what drives us now. Yeah, we still talk about... Star Trek and the episodes, and we geek out over things. And but it, it, I think it. Both Dan and I are 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 feeling better about this part of the journey. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, Dan, but um, uh, to be able to do more. You know, last summer we did a we did a live stream fundraiser with Jonathan Frakes to benefit Feeding America's COVID nineteen response fund. It was the first time we'd ever done anything like that. And I went to Dan one day and said, "Hey." What do you think about doing this? He's like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then the next day, I came back to him and said, "All right, it's set up. I got Frank's. He goes, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> and
1: and I um and I gotta say, it's to, baby steps to you, yeah. to your point, Bill. If I gotta jump in, I gotta say, John, we've done your episode two hundred and seventy for the show right now. That is the proudest episode we've ever done. To be able to do that to 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 um to make a difference for what do we end up doing, Bill? was it 50,000 meals is what it ended up raising something like that for the, for the people that, that need it. And, and, and you're right. It's that feeling of, of being able to help, which, which makes it all worthwhile. So seeing what you're doing uh, and hearing about the things that you're doing is it's, it's so great to hear. And, and, and it's, it's really too bad that we don't have more people that have that in their heart, the way that you do.
2: Well, I also got to, I got to, I got to also say, I mean, I'm extremely yeah. fortunate. I'm a child of privilege. I had, you know, parents who love me, who inculcated a great love of reading in me. I had a good education. I was able to, I've been able to work my whole life, Bonnie as well. We didn't have kids, so we saved all our dough. So to be honest with you, I also have considered myself to be quasi semi demi retired for almost a decade, mm-hmm. meaning that I'm happy to work. I like to act, but if I never act again, I don't need the dough. Yeah. So I have time and, and not everybody does. Right. And that's just a reality. And I get that. And that's the other thing that I always have to kind of, you know, cause I, I feel sometimes I can sound sort of snooty about it and I don't mean to, it's a luxury for me. You know, it's a luxury. If you're a human being, when you look at how many people in this world are struggling mm-hmm. just to make ends meet, put food on the table, take care of the kids. I get it. Not everybody can say, and now I'm going to roll up my volunteer sleeves. Right. If you have the capacity to put more time towards your community, I think it's incredibly rewarding, but I think it's important to caveat it because one of the reasons we're in this pickle and one of the reasons that I think it's hard to build these structures is because not a, not enough people have the ability to participate right. as, as right. citizen volunteers. There's a, great, there's a great book called Bowling Alone by Robert okay. Putnam and his thesis, and this was written well before social media was that people used to grow up in a network of service and relationships. You belong to the bowling club, the bridge team, the PTA. You know, you went to the town meetings, et cetera. Some of that was a more rural and less urban world. Some of it is we become more atomized because of social media. But I think one of the things about connectivity and networking is it has to be re- based on service. And, and a lot of that has been sucked away from us for a lot of historical reasons.
0: You know, it's interesting. You know, you talk about your background and how you came into it. I come into it quite the opposite way. I grew up on welfare. You know, in the eighties, my family was on food stamps and every kind of public assistance that you could ask for because my dad was a carpet salesman Mm -hmm. and he was out of work for the first five years of the decade because with double digit interest rates and double digit inflation and double digit unemployment, nobody was buying carpet. Yep. Um, and so, I, I mean, at this point for me, it's, it's, it, I don't want to say it's a responsibility or a duty. It's just, it's, it's a calling to give back. Yeah. I feel like I have the ability to, I have the time to, I have the means to, um, I am meant to do this. And so I yeah. am going to speak for Dan now and yeah. say, if there is anything that Trek geeks can ever do to help Hofoco, yep. we're there for you.
2: Well, bless you, and and let me put put your put your thinking caps on. And if you can think of something, I am more than more than receptive. I mean, I I uh, y- you know I, I love this organization, and I I love what it stands for, and I love what our future may hold if we are able to keep building with our partners um, a better web of connectivity.
1: I put my thinking. Um, I think cap a on. question. Well, what do you thinking, Kevin? We uh, we um we did it once, Bill, and it worked tremendously. I say we do another line, live stream with John and Bonnie, because they're involved in it so much. To have a fundraiser for the Hollywood Food Coalition at some point,
0: I so, I, I love that idea. I'm happy to do it. I think that'd be so, fantastic. So Bill, so, Bill, get
1: that all together um, and let me know
0: get get franks to come on as a guest, <laughs> would you? Because you know John and Bonnie
1: Frakes
2: can't draw one. six people to a closet. Come on.
0: <laughs> well, you know what? it, it Well. It, I don't know how deep your, your Rolodex is. I assume you have a Rolodex because you have a sea of books behind you. <laughs> I, I um, do. Um, if you want to get some of your Enterprise cohorts together and we'll do an Enterprise 20 celebration live stream. Um, and I'll invite Frakes too, because I, I have his email and he's answered me before. And he was in Enterprise. Uh, I,
1: think
2: I, I think I can get, uh, I certainly can try and get some Enterprise guys. And I, and yeah. I suspect I can get uh, Gates and David Livingston Oh, you know, David's,
0: David's wonderful. David's on our board.
2: Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so I can certainly get David and, uh, yeah, I can, I can definitely, uh, you know, do some wrangling. So we'll um, talk, we'll talk. Let's put this, <laughs> one. I think it's a great idea. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yes. I'm the, I'm the, I'm on the development committee. So this also uh, is, is
1: good. I think it'll be fantastic. John, I got, I got one more quick question and then one comment that I want to wrap up with that I do with all yeah. of our guests that we have on the show who've been in Star Trek. Um, with all the new Star Trek out now, we got animated stuff. We got new shows. We got shows that take place right after I know, Enterprise. Star Trek. My house. It's I, like CSI. Exactly. It's like I, got, I, got, I, got, I know. It's like. <laughs> what are your thoughts? You you said that that if if you don't have to if you know you, you you're lucky and if you don't have to act any if you don't have to work anymore that's great. If they called you up and said we want you to do Flocks again, either as a voiceover or maybe as in an episode where there was a time travel aspect of it. Would would you like to see Flock show up again in Star Trek at some point? A voiceover, absolutely,
2: because <laughs> okay. I don't have to put the rubber head.
1: On. <laughs> um, however, I'll, I will. This
2: is indicative, perhaps, of the love that the franchise, as a franchise, holds for me. I was asked to audition for the Kate Mulgrew cartoon for a small supporting <laughs> oh role. It was like, yeah, really? I, I was asked really? to audition for the Orville. Oh. It was like, you oh, know, God. so uh, there is a small coterie of people who may appreciate Dr. Flock's. But apparently, there is a larger coterie that says John Billingsley who? So, um, yeah, I would come back as flocks, I think. You know, um, I, I should probably preface that by saying if the price was right. Sure. Absolutely. Um, it wouldn't have to be astronomical, but putting the rubber head on is a pain in the ass. Um, We'd love it. And the are very long-lived. That's right. So, yeah. I'll yeah. tell yeah. you my – and I don't want to keep you guys if I'm going over. Oh, no, them no, no, them. You're no. You're fine. Oh, gosh, No. <laughs> So, my show is called Old Fat Flocks. So, it <laughs> opens with Old Fat Flocks. He's sitting in a rocking chair on a porch and he's regaling a couple of youngsters. They could be alien youngsters, I don't care, with stories about oh, back in the day when I was on the Enterprise, I used to blah, 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 blah. I remember one time. And then you have that flashback music, and the whole rest of the episode is young people enacting the story Dr. Flocks tells. And then at the end of the episode, you go back to old fat flocks and he's just like, I'm the moral hero, blah, blah, blah. I would only have to work half a day and I wouldn't have to get out of a chair. (laughs) Can we have walk on parts? (laughs) I even have a theme song. Old fat flocks. He's a sitting on a box at the junction. Denobula junction. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, because I oh, wanted my. to model my career along the lines of Edgar Buchanan.
1: Oh, that is priceless. Amazing. Well, John, that's so, I so keep, good.
2: I keep pitching this, and and so far nobody's actually
1: called me to say, I love it, we're in.
2: Really? Really? We have, we have a podcast
1: network. I'm sure we can do something. I don't get it.
2: <laughs> I used to sing a little song. You probably heard this too. Maybe you didn't. Did you know about the little song I used to sing to irritate Dom Keating uh, when I was on Enterprise?
0: no it's because i was many
2: episodes i was only on like one day out of seven so i i used to when dom particularly if dom had to wear the space suit i would always make sure i found dom before i left the soundstage for the rest of the week and i'd sing my little song day off day off, <laughs> day off. six days <laughs> off and the check still comes <laughs>
0: character acted
2: in the sun six (laughs) days off and the check still come i could go on to the second verse but john would usually stop me
1: well before i got
2: there (laughs) oh Oh, that's awesome
1: (laughs) that's fantastic um john i want to take a serious moment right now I, i do this with every star trek actor that we have on the show um back in 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 2000 i was going through a very difficult point in my life and i was literally seconds away from committing suicide. And I didn't because an episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine was playing at the moment that I had a gun in my mouth. And that moment made me stop and think and everything changed. And I was able to build my life back together. It took place on Deep Space Nine, but I always make a point to thank everybody who has been in Star Trek because Star Trek literally saved my life. I had the opportunity to tell that story to Anthony Montgomery at a convention in Boston in 2014 when Bill actually pitched the idea of doing this podcast to me for the first time. So I want to thank you. I want to thank all of the people involved in Enterprise. It is a fantastic Star Trek show. Your character is amazing, and I love what you have done for the Star Trek universe.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And that's very sweet of you to say. And and uh, yeah, I mean, I've heard variants on that story, mm-hmm. you know, to be honest with you, including from one of the people who follows me. And I, you know, it is a weird thing to be an actor in popular culture. When you're on the stage, that isn't really part of your reality when you're on any kind of show that has a fan base, you do have an outsized impact. I certainly, you know, (laughs) as I suspect is most is true for most actors, um, kind of on some level think, I can't believe I got away with this. I thought I was going to have to be a desk jockey. How did this happen? So when people, you know, talk to you as if, as if it has, it has been significant, it is, um, it is both touching and uh, also kind of like brain cramp inducing mm-hmm. it's like what
1: yeah well it's uh it's always very special when i get the opportunity to thank someone so thank you very much i i for one can't wait to tell your friend starfleet queen about this episode coming up in a couple of weeks because uh, she's yes, going to well, love listening to this episode yes
2: yes i didn't i didn't specifically reference starfleet queen <laughs> as the person behind socks for flocks cuz i'm never entirely sure how comfortable people are having their she's fantastic you know, yeah Yeah, yeah, she's 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 been terrific um so yes she she actually i did a podcast with her Yep, and uh and now she's she's writing she's writing away i saw that yep yeah yeah, yep. which i great she also i think her other uh, her handle is uh is uh is flox's third wife or flox's fourth Fourth wife i think it's fourth wife yeah absolutely i haven't told my wife that (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's, that's not part of the Denobulan mythology that Bonnie is particularly fond of. Um, It'll poly- be our secret. The, the yeah.
1: polyamory. <laughs> of Dr. Flocks. Well, I, I will say, folks, follow John Billingsley on Twitter at jbillingsley60. Great, uh, great stuff you put out there, John. We cannot thank you enough for joining us here on Trek Geek to talk about your time on Enterprise and the Hollywood Food Coalition. You are an amazing human being, and we welcome you back anytime and we're going to get to work on that whole uh fundraising thing i think that'd be a loop, great loop, thing loop.
2: i'm i am all for that just keep me posted and uh happy to come back anytime thanks for having me thanks for your 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 words of gushing praise it almost makes me want to redo the intro and not make as much fun of you but you know that shit fucking <laughs> <laughs> did we discuss whether profanity was acceptable by the way because it i is. just
0: launched right in i i realized so- that So part of being a podcast producer is knowing the currency in which your guest Trade. Oh, fabulous! And Dan said, "I'm going to get Billingsley." I said, "Fine, I'll tag it as explicit. That's cool." Yeah, um, so, Because if I have to try to bleep you, it's going to take me three weeks to edit oh, yeah. this. People oh, ask me all the, the time. Tagging. It's
2: like because I'm very political. It's like, why don't you go into politics? It's like, it's like, are you fucking kidding? Well, it's it also, <laughs> and I'm an atheist. It's like, oh, <laughs>
1: yeah, right. Shoot. And 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 if you remember when we first talked about having you come on, it was at a time where I'm like, okay, we don't really want to bring politics on the show, and we said, okay, we're going to hold off. But then you know what? Who gives a shit? You're coming on, man. We're going to talk politics. We're going to have a taz that's explicit. We're going to have I don't a know great how time. You, I
2: don't know how you can avoid having a political <laughs> exactly. conversation. Anytime exactly. I'm ever with somebody, it's like, well, I don't want to talk about politics. It's like,
0: well, I got nothing then. <laughs> well, you know what, John? You're actually the person that kind of changed my thinking on this yeah. without even knowing me. Um, because I heard you say something or, or read a quote to that effect. And Dan and I had a conversation. It's like, you know what? Star Trek is political. Yep. Our guests who have been a part of star Trek may be political. It doesn't mean the show is becoming political, but to talk to these individuals and to find out what drives them and what they're passionate about, because we care about that. These things are going to come up. And Uh, the thing that to me is
2: star Trek is moral. And to me, our politics has divorced from
1: morality. Absolutely. I think
2: it's important to own that, that, There are folks in the political realm, and I'm sorry, but I do believe, and Charles Blow, who writes in the New York Times, I think says this very eloquently, I think it is important to call out the Republican Party. They are behaving immorally. Mm -hmm. And it's important to speak that. It is a political reality. We cannot have a president of the United States who pretends that he won when he lost. Yes. We cannot have a president of the United States and a political party that is prepared, in essence, to suborn democracy, which is what is happening. And that has to be spoken to. That has to be addressed. Absolutely. That's a star Trek fucking value.
1: And Uh, 100 percent. The sad thing is not enough people in those positions higher up are saying anything. And that's what that's what's disgraceful.
2: Well, yeah, and if you go, uh, I mean, uh, the Washington Post, uh, a guy named Robert Kaplan, who's, who's sometimes a little to to my right, but he wrote, I think, a thought, an absolutely stunning editorial about what the Republican Party's up to. And even the people who are nominally anti-Trumpists, the Romneys, mm-hmm. they are still effectively going along with patterns of voter suppression across the country mm-hmm. that are fundamentally designed to give the Republican Party an opportunity to put Trump and Trumpistas back into office under completely bogus, I mean, in essence, allowing people who are partisan to run the election mechanisms in states, they could easily mm-hmm. overturn mm-hmm. elections. And that's, to me, an obscenity it that needs to be spoken of. Absolutely. Well,
0: you know, we've heard the phrase domestic enemies of the Constitution for pretty much as long as this nation has been around. And that's exactly what that is.
2: Yeah. Quite frankly. And, you know, and, and we, the, the, press, which I totally get, you know, I mean, has a, a long history of on the one hand, this on the other hand, that an attempt for a supposed nonpartisan press to play, uh, you know, play it even. Right. But w- when one side is willing to cheat and steal and lie, and the other side is trying to play maybe hardball politics, but just basic politics, you know. I think there's a disparity there that needs to be called out.
0: One hundred percent. I like you even
1: more now, man. <laughs>
2: uh, well, you know, I figured I lost all the Republicans in the first thirty seconds. I, I so you know sometimes I try and save the vitriol till the end and suck them in the Star Trek shit there you go. before I like
1: it. <laughs> fantastic. Well, folks, his name is John Billingsley. He is a legend in Star Trek, Dr. Phlox. We will see you again soon, I am sure, my friend. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me.
0: So, Dan, apparently mm-hmm. um, we're going to do a live stream. <laughs> yeah. With some, some Star <laughs> Trek folks to be named. Uh, Coming up to benefit the Hollywood Food Coalition, of course, with JB. And um, we've had conversations about that very thing just today. (laughs) Yeah, we
1: did, actually. We, We, uh... We
0: are in the planning of this event.
1: We are deep in the planning, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna thank John in advance for all the help that he's giving us in planning this. Um, the details will be coming together as we get more in depth with these conversations. But yeah, I mean we we did it with Feeding America with Jonathan Frakes, and and since since John is so passionate about the Ho- Hollywood Food Coalition, we're like, you know what? Let's let's do something else. Let's get let's get something big going. So we're planning to do some stuff. Uh, we're planning on having a live stream if everything can fall in line uh, correctly to raise some money for a, a, an unbelievably. The organization that we are going to be very happy to uh, be associated with. So keep your ears and eyes open because as stuff comes together, we're going to be uh, uh, we're going to be letting you know. And this all could come come along very very quickly, like within the next like month and a half or so. So uh, (laughs) it's going to be awesome.
0: It's mind blowing, and and, I mean, kudos to you for for sort of calling a crazy Ivan and and going (laughs) off book and. And saying, hey, let's do something. <laughs> like yeah, a live it's stream. It's
1: usually you. You're like, let me let me run an idea past you. I'm like, oh God. But no
0: <laughs> I, I've got a crazy idea has pretty much prefaced everything you and I have ever done. <laughs> pretty much. And and now you're in that in that column. So good for you. You're you know, you're you're off the fence. I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to this coming
1: together, man. It could be
0: uh, it could be huge. We
1: had so much fun with with Jonathan Frakes when we when we did it for Feeding America, and and it can just be exponentially more exciting if we have what we're hoping to have for this one. So stay
0: tuned. Stay tuned. Of course, you know. In the meantime, please check out the Hollywood Food Coalition on their social media, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or even on their website. Because they really are an organization that that is incredibly impressive in the work they do. It's not just about meals. Although, they do put out some amazing food mm-hmm. for the homeless population in the Los Angeles area. I was looking at their website. This is not like, you know, restaurant discards and bags of chips. Yeah. This, this is some really high-quality meals. And it's uh, it, it's been done for 35 years straight. Long time. They've never yeah. missed a night.
1: It's it's amazing. Seven nights a week, 365 days a year for that many years. It's, you know, I got to say, it, it, with everything that's going on in the world today, it's really nice to know there are still caring people in the world. Because sometimes you just don't really know if there are when you look at what's going on in social media and you look at what's going on in the news. So hats off to John and all of the people that are involved with the Hollywood Food Coalition and what they're doing. Uh, check them out, hofoco org is their website. Uh, get involved and and as we talked with John, you know it could not it may not just be um, Hollywood Food Coalition that this this could turn into more things. He wants to be very passionate about people in other cities getting involved with something similar, and it 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 can all start right from something like like what they're doing and what hopefully we're going to be doing with our live stream so uh it's good to help people and you're going to feel good doing it
0: well and if we all want the world to be a little more trek like Mm. this is this is a great first step absolutely um because if, if we can't help take care of those that that need it then we are never going to get there
1: i i can't say anything better than that man because you just hit the nail right on the
0: head well you know what else i i can say miles better than you is that we are so grateful for the music of five-year mission every single week here on Trek geeks. You know, JB was once on five-year mission, the podcast. He was, and that's a great episode, but you should check out all of their podcast episodes because the guys are a bunch of fun. Plus, I mean, they've got actual CDs that you can buy on 5 which are amazing. You know, all kinds of albums that are songs about original star Trek episodes. And as we continue to stress, these are not song parodies. These are original compositions that highlight and make you look at these episodes in a different way.
1: I got to say, you really did say that miles ahead of anything I could do, but isn't that with everything?
0: That's so true. true.
1: (laughs) I would think so. But, you know, as a Trek fan, Bill, I think it's easy to say that we love collecting things, memorabilia and stuff like that. Wouldn't you agree? I yeah, absolutely. It. Absolutely. I mean, it, it looks great. It, it, you're proud to, to display it. Uh, but no collection, my friend, is as grand and wonderful as this person's collection was. He had it all. Drums from so many alien worlds. Percussion instruments that would make the most ardent collector look on with jealousy. And this guy, even, he even tried to capture data and add him to his collection once. And it, it, it took great effort effort to bring him there, uh, but he went too far, and it cost him everything. He was an avid collector, and alas, he was a criminal and a murderer. He was Kivas Farkjo, and you want to steer clear of him if you ever run into him again, if he ever shows up, because he will try to collect you, because you, too, are one of a kind. Kivas Farkjo. Kivas Farkjo. Farkjo.
0: Farkjo yeah effort effort are you gonna put in any <laughs> effort effort that was funny. yeah it'd be great if you put some effort into these farkisms wow instead of we're trailing water for 90 seconds
1: <laughs> I thought that was a good one that's all right you
0: always think they're good <laughs> that's, that's true I do, yeah. I do <laughs> even the worst of them has been has been you're like I'm so proud of this one
1: fuck we all still pretty good uh,
0: <laughs> that's because I wrote it
1: no 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 you didn't moya <laughs>
0: And that's that's my shining, that's my pinnacle. Now with Beltran coming back to Prodigy, we we'll get I to know. use it.
1: Oh yes, yeah. absolutely.
0: Anyway, yet we digress. <laughs> Fiveyearmission.net, please support the band, become huge fans because we are ourselves. Don't forget you too can support the Trek Geeks Podcast Network by subscribing to us on Patreon, where you can get a whole bunch of different perks, Dan, just for being a member.
1: Absolutely. One of the best perks is listening to the raw audio of these here podcasts, which can really go off the rails more so than the finished version that you listen to every week. So, yeah, check it out. We got other perks. We got new perks coming. So so check it out. Uh, right now, though, we want to take a moment to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are so grateful for their support. And they are Vikram Bhatt, Luke Burnham, Brad DeMag, William Edward M. Jr., Patrick Escadero, Brandon Everidge, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Jonathan Hamilton, Peter Hong, William Jackson, Ryan Jeffs, John Kricorian, Sean Lynn, Rick Mason, Jamie McGregor, Rose McKinney, Aaron Mollenkoff, Casey Pettit, Helen Reed, Tim Robertson, Greg Rosier, Sarah Rutlinger, Eric Sakian, Adam Sanders, Tim Sardar, Heather Sohn, Blake Strike, Rick Tatro, Lisa Tomlinson, Jessica Dax Vincent, Ron Robell, and the gracious and wonderful Connie Hutchins.
0: You know, I was waiting for you to pass out from needing oxygen after that. You wanted
1: that. me to. Yeah.
0: I was, oh man, I my fingers were crossed. I was like, yeah, come on. And if it would have happened, I was going to be like, USA, USA. <laughs> I was just going to start chanting, you know, nice. like I was. Anyway, we want to thank our producers for Trek Geeks. They are. Mike Bovia, Chaz Bradshaw, Kyle Castillo, Peter Craig, Andy Davenport, Craig Ewing, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Julianne Jordan, Lionel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Jim McMahon, Darren Metcalf, Charlie Mulvey, Sean O'Halloran, Jamie Rogers, Casey Shasky, Jim Stoffel, Chris Trebuzio, Ken Tripp, Christina Werther, and the lovely and talented Jess Fashon. The senior producer of Trek Geeks is the jocular and jubilant June Tatman
1: jumping jude tad he's a gas 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 right Any- no. anyway no no anyway you too he, can. he's become only a, uh, he's wh- just a kid <laughs> uh, well he can't yeah. even drive yet i don't even know what that means but you too can become a producer of the trek geeks network and it is so easy to do head on over to patreon.com slash trek geeks for all the
0: details yeah, next time we're gonna welcome an old friend back to the show, and he's having a great time destroying everything we know and love. <laughs> yeah, he really is, man. And I have a feeling he's having a
1: great time doing it. The first book of the amazing new Star Trek trilogy Coda is available now is available now. And just the description of this epic is chilling. Tomorrow is doomed. We're going to get deep into the first of these three amazing novels with the one and only New York Times best-selling author, Dayton Ward, to discuss his new book, which is called Moments Asunder. It's all next time on Trek Geeks, the flagship of the Trek Geeks podcast network, and hopefully we will not be erased from existence.
0: I'm hoping you were erased from existence. Wow. That would be amazing. That's wonderful. You know, I think one of the first questions we're going to ask him is... Um, what the hell were you thinking when you wrote this book? Um, am I wrong? No. Yeah, I'm only like four chapters in, and I'm like, what the? Burp? <laughs> I'm six chapters in, and I'm I, I love it. I have a hard time it's, putting it down. That doesn't yep. happen to me. I'm actually reading the book instead of listening to the audio. I did not know that. Yeah. Congratulations. Um, that's great. Well, because I have I'm not commuting. Oh, that's true. Yeah.
1: Um, that's a great but, read
0: it it is the first of three books to to kind of close out i believe the no, the novel continuity exactly um and i oh i can't imagine what books two through three are going to be like ah. once of far yeah. is amazing Absolutely. that's next week here on the flagship for more great star trek discussion please check out the other member podcast of the trek geeks podcast network there's discovering trek and rewind and Politrex and five year mission and uh, Deep Space Pride, uh, Drawn to Trek, Divine Treasuries, Hi-Fi Sisters, Science Station 2, and with the first link. We're so proud to have all of them as a part of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. You can find all of them, including where to listen, by visiting com slash listen. The Trek Geeks Podcast Network. No one
1: talks Trek. Let's try that again. The Trek Geeks Podcast Network. No one talks Trek like we do.
0: You've got one line.
1: (laughs) I was completely like reading my
0: other stuff. Sorry. (laughs) You've got one line in the whole thing. You're like, you're reading email, you're looking at Twitter, you're like, what the hell's going on? Here? You know
1: what's great about this before we wrap it up? I was talking a little while ago about how awesome the raw audio is. It doesn't matter because you're keeping all this in, so everybody's going to hear it.
0: <laughs> uh, I believe the executive producer is doing that. <laughs> of course, for all the news and all the Star Trek TV, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. Lots of stuff going on there, let me tell you. Until- <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um... Yeah, so, for now, this has been episode number 270 of the Trek Geeks Podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper.
1: You're going to hate this one, but I can't help it.
0: I'm not surprised. Coconutism, Captain. No, you didn't. No. No. Effort? Effort? <laughs> Music
1: for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at FiveYearMission.net. Trek Geeks is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts,
0: Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. (laughs) (laughs) there's bill hi bill hi guys hey guys what's up how are you fantastic i just uh i was having a a wisdom tooth socket emergency and was trying to get a piece of pasta out (laughs) and uh (laughs) wow
2: that is way too much information (laughs) holy cow well i I almost
0: i almost came on and said i had to flush my holes so (laughs) count yourself lucky billingsley (laughs) Holy
2: cow. Yeah. So I just came directly from a proctology exam and I was like, I'm not even finished yet. It's like, I got to go. I got to go. We'll finish next time.
0: I get that talking to Dan is like a proctological yes. exam, but I oh, mean, wow.
1: So let's do this little thing and get it out of the way. So yeah, Bill, I, he's going to do a, uh, he's going to do a celeb intro for us. I'm going to make of you though. And he's going to add a little bit. Okay. Cause my writing tell is awful. ready. <laughs> you ready?
2: Yeah, anytime. Hi, this is John Billingsley, Dr. Phil flocks. From Star Trek Enterprise. Now, I'm reading something that was written for me, and I think they could have done better. So, this yes. is not me. This is them. My prescription for you is a healthy dose of the Track Geeks podcast starring Dan Davidson and Bill. He could have done better, Smith. It truly is the best medicine. Oh, come on, boys. And here's how they close it Doctor's orders. Shame, tisk, tisk.
0: For the record, that was Dan Davidson that wrote that. That
1: was me.
2: <laughs> wow.
1: Well, that's uh, even you know better because now it's forever blamed on Bill.
0: <laughs> that's forever blamed on Bill. There Thank you, you, Mr. Bakula. There you go. <laughs> wow. All right. All right.
1: Well, it's great to it's right. great to have you here, man. It's uh it's been a sure. long time. We've wanted to do this um ever since we met out at the premiere of Discovery a few years back. So I'm glad that you were able to have the time to talk to us. Our fans are gonna love it
2: happy to be here the bed in the background is going to be is going isn't, to be disorienting yes, isn't it to me. isn't it right.
1: I know. you're going to be thinking that's all, all right. kinds of weird things aren't you <laughs> that's all right i don't know I, I don't know you don't have anybody like captive in the uh, in <laughs> it's not that thing. i'm going to show that you the you know camera all right <laughs> Right. You
0: should just feel lucky Dan has pants on tonight for change.
1: Well, it's more than I have. <laughs>
2: I'm down to, I'm down to one pair of shorts that I wear all the time. I've got to go to Costco and go on a big boy pants run. I
0: hear that, man. Yeah, awesome. I hear
2: that. I know this goddamn COVID thing. It's like, you know, like it's like back at being a freshman in college. It's like the 15 pounds of COVID weight. Yeah.
1: Well, let me tell you a quick story about COVID. Cause I'm just basking in the, in the fun. My mom contracted it yesterday. She's she's fully vaccinated. And oh, my God, dude, this is so infuriating. A very close friend of the family went to see a sister who was COVID positive, didn't tell anybody, and then went to a get together that my mom was at when she wasn't feeling well, didn't tell anybody. And this person tested positive on Friday. My mom started feeling bad on Sunday, brought her to the hospital yesterday. She's got a temperature 101 and has COVID. Uh, people no. are so freaking selfish it is unbelievable
2: well i will say and i i hope this and trust this will prove true for your mom is that even when people who have the vaccine contract COVID, mm-hmm. the severity is considerably yes. reduced yep so yep. hopefully she will, you know, get through this, and it will be uh, a shitty thing to have happened. Yeah, but just a shitty thing to have happened. Yep.
1: It's um, she's um, she wasn't sick enough for them to keep her at the hospital, which is a good thing. So that's a that's good thing. start to it. So she's at that's home it, resting, yeah. and hopefully she'll be okay in a few days. What we'll uh, see. I know
2: it's incredibly, it's incredibly, it's infuriating. It it's is. Infuri- You see, I mean, Kyrie Irving and uh, yeah, and, yep. I'm not a basketball fan, and uh, Bradley Beal. Mm-hmm. You know, and not only do they come out and they go blah, 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 but it's the usual bullshit misinformation and yep. Yep. crap. Awful. Awful. It's just.
1: Yeah. you. And it just it just isn't getting any better. No, it's getting worse, which is. Which well, is I mean, that's where we're at now. Yeah. We're so,
2: so balkanized. I mean, people would rather be dead than wrong. Yeah. The number of people you
0: read about who actually as they're dying. Yeah. Are saying i don't have covid it's unbelievable it's like or or please give me the vaccine yeah <laughs> it's like sorry sorry or give me or give me intro you know some other bullshit <laughs> thing I'm like you to... know give me the yeah
2: yeah oh, and then when oh, and then when the doctors say no we're not going to give you some like you know bullshit just because you asked for bullshit then all the you know the visigoths run and and chase the
1: doctors down and storm the hospital yep it's ugh. uh it's infuriating. It is. It's it's unbelievable. But anyway, so what we'll do when we're ready. Um, I do have an intro that I like to do for all our guests that come on. Um, so we'll do that, and then we'll just get into talking about all kinds of stuff like flocks and and of course the uh, Hollywood Food Coalition and all Fabulous. that good stuff.
2: So we're looking Fabulous. forward to it, man. Let it rip. All righty. You ready, Bill? I hadn't realized it hadn't been ripping already. Oh, it's ripping. We just haven't started recording now. Okay. All right. I was going to say that was
0: deathless material. You're not going to keep that? Dan's going to let one rip here in a minute. (laughs) I've already insulted at least six people. Come on.
1: All right. Here we go. Coconut.